Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, Kate Burnett talks with somebody from Experience Columbus. Then I'll talk with the president and CEO of the Greater Columbus Sports Commission. In about 25 minutes, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend covers a number of topics, including reaction from Ohio lawmakers to President Biden's State of the Union address, as well as some fact-checking of some of the claims made during that speech by the president and by Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders in her GOP rebuttal. And she'll talk with Lieutenant Governor John Husted about his plan to require parental permission for kids to use certain social media platforms. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with a doctor about kidney disease. First up on Columbus Perspective, here's Kate Burdett. Today I'm talking with Sarah Towns. She is the Chief Marketing and Innovation Officer for Experience Columbus. And as 2023 began, Experience Columbus wanted Central Ohioans to know that there is a lot to do here. Hi, Sarah. Hi. You have a list called 23 Things to Do in Columbus in 2023. That's a very cool idea. And I'm wondering, first of all, how could you possibly narrow it all down? There's probably a lot more than 23 things. There are way more than 23 things, but Experience Columbus has nearly a thousand partners throughout Central Ohio. And when we developed this list, we reached out to our partners. We got their input on happenings, exhibits, events, and things that were going on throughout the year. And we also consulted with various city partners on major developments um, just to learn about what was new and any trends that we were seeing. So we could definitely share this with our audience. So was there a set list of factors? Were there criteria that, that you would look at to get something onto the list? Or was it just sort of a, here's a whole bunch of stuff, let's narrow it down? <laughs> well, you know, we really just wanted to focus on some of the newest things and, you know, experiences, most compelling reasons for visitors to across Ohio and beyond to come to Columbus this year. We also tried to identify trends such as outdoor adventure, new entertainment districts, um, and the big surge that we're having in rooftop bars and restaurants. Oh my gosh, it seems like there's a new rooftop dining cocktail experience every other day. Oh my gosh, I know so many. And, you know, some that you can even enjoy in the cooler months as we're heading into spring and summer. Uh, we're really excited to be able to get out and, and experience those rooftops um, as warmer weather is upon us as well. Absolutely. What are some of the unexpected or out of the ordinary items on this list? Well, we were thrilled to be able to share we are going to have the country's first urban Via Ferretta coming to Columbus this spring in the Quarry Trails Metro Park. If you're not familiar, Via Ferretas are popular in Europe and they are a beginner-friendly climbing route. And it is more of a horizontal route in orientation versus vertical. They're now popping up across the U.S., but according to the New York Times, Columbus will be the first to have an urban Via Ferretta. So we're excited about that. That is extremely interesting. I personally had never heard the word Via Ferretta or term Via Ferretta before. And for those who are even afraid of heights, a horizontal climbing experience sounds just perfect. I think any of us could get on board with that. We're really excited. Absolutely. Now, Experience Columbus, for those who may not be familiar, it's not just about visitors and bringing conventions and things to our city. It's 
it's available to Central Ohioans as well. Can you tell me a little bit more about what people in Columbus may not realize about Experience Columbus and what it can do for them? Absolutely. So Experience Columbus is the destination marketing organization, but we are really a go-to resource for anything that is happening in Central Ohio, in Columbus specifically, new exhibits, events, experiences, attractions, restaurants. We have so many amazing chefs and restaurant experiences, um, not only existing in Columbus today, but coming in the coming months. Um, So we really just try to, to go out and scour the community, figure out what's happening and bring those, those great ideas and opportunities to residents and visitors alike. I know a lot of people that talk about how Columbus, Ohio is sort of this hidden gem, less so, I think, in recent years. We're definitely raising our profile, but there are so many people who come here and do not leave because this region, this area, this city offers so much to to young and old alike, uh, to families, to single young professionals across the board, to to senior citizens, what whatever the demographic may be. There's something for them here. A lot of people, on the other hand, on the other side of that, will sometimes roll their eyes and say, oh, there's just nothing to do around here. And I don't think that's Columbus specific by any means. I'm pretty sure you can find any city in the world where people would say that. What would be your response to someone who says, oh, there's nothing to do in Columbus? Well, I would like to extend a personal invitation to anyone who feels that way to come and visit Columbus and utilize the experiencecolumbus.com website, our itineraries and recommendations that we provide, because one visit and you'll see there is so much to do. It's it's actually the opposite of that statement. Columbus is the largest city in Ohio and one of the fastest growing cities in the Midwest. We have a growing culinary scene, as I mentioned before, nationally recognized chefs and expansive outdoor landscape with 20 plus metro parks and more than 230 miles of trails, year round festivals, um, and all of this that that really covers nearly all interests. And I did want to mention if, if I can, we are so excited. Our Columbus Metropolitan Library is celebrating 150 years this year. It's a sesquicentennial celebration that is taking place in the middle of July. Um, so we'll have 14 independent bookstores, including a 32 room, uh, the 32 room book loft. We are home to iconic authors such as Say Jones and Hanif Adurakib. Um, and there is going to be so much for book lovers um, throughout the country really to come and see and do this summer as part of this festival. Sarah Towns is the Chief Marketing and Innovation Officer for Experience Columbus. We're talking about 23 things to do in Columbus in 2023. Sarah, where should we go to find that full list of 23 things to do in Columbus this year? ExperienceColumbus.com. Or we always suggest you follow us, Experience Columbus, across all of our social channels. I'm going to put you on the spot now, Sarah. What on the list of 23 things to do would be your number one? Or what was the first one you wanted to try or did? 
I am so excited. So downtown this year is going to be opening uh, Columbus's next great neighborhood called the Peninsula. And it's really an urban oasis that will feature office spaces, resort style residential living, the city's newest independent lifestyle hotel from Make Ready called the Junto. And I'm going to have a hard hat tour here very soon. So excited to see the progress that's being made. Uh, but this hotel will open in late spring, early summer. It's a small kind of 198 room boutique hotel, but really will be a hub for Columbus's creative community. It's going to feature several really unique culinary concepts, including a rooftop restaurant with stunning views of the Scioto River and downtown skyline. Um, so we are so excited to welcome the Junto to get the peninsula open and running and really invite individuals, residents, and visitors to explore this new neighborhood. That sounds very exciting. Can't wait to see more about that. Experience Columbus, it is right here in our neighborhood, so to speak, here in Columbus, Ohio. And they can always find something for you to do. Maybe you have family or friends coming to visit town. Check out their website, experiencecolumbus.com. And as Sarah said, make sure you're following them on all of the social channels. It's been great talking to you today, Sarah. Sarah Towns, Chief Marketing and Innovation Officer for Experience Columbus. I have a feeling we'll be chatting again because there's always something happening in this city, huh? There sure is. And thank you so much for your time. And um, we'll look forward to chatting about what else is, is on the horizon very soon. Need to visit the Ohio BMV? Go online first. It could save you a trip. It's now easier and more convenient than ever to get what you need from the BMV online. Need to renew your driver's license? Renew online. And if you need to renew your vehicle registration, visit one of our new BMV Express kiosks or go online. If you do need to visit a BMV agency, use the Get In Line online tool, also found on the website, to save your spot and minimize your time waiting. For more services available online, check out bmv.ohio.gov. It might be hard to imagine, but there's a place where you can find a restaurant on every corner. A place where you can eat like a king for as little as a dollar. It might be hard to imagine, but this is the same place where the school lunches aren't just delicious. They're themed with palate pleasers like mozzarella stick Mondays, taco Tuesdays, and French Fridays. Heck, even pizza counts as a vegetable here. This is a place where the fast food just keeps getting faster. You can even order delivery right from your video game console. And how's the food, you ask? Well, it is to die for. Don't believe us? Just ask the friends and family of the 300,000 who did last year. Welcome to the state of America. Welcome to Obesity USA. Population 115 million and getting bigger by the day. To learn more, go to visitobesity.org. That's visitobesity.org. Brought to you by the Pennington Biomedical Research Foundation. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Linda Logan, who is the CEO and President of the Greater Columbus Sports Commission. How are you? Great. Nice to be here today. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us uh, about the Greater Columbus Sports Commission. What is it? Yes, the Greater Columbus Sports Commission, we're celebrating our 21st year. We had a big celebration last year, of course, for 20, but think of us as sports tourism. We have uh, many uh, roles in the community, but... 
first and foremost is bringing sporting events to Columbus, that economic development piece, the raise the image and profile of Columbus, and that quality of life of doing great things for Columbus through sports. And what a challenging few years this has been, I would guess, for that type of work. Certainly, uh, we've all learned a lot through the pandemic, and I will say sporting events are very resilient. I think that whether it's um, parents, uh, athletes, fans, you know, we we were craving them uh, while they were gone and have a new appreciation, I think, for them as well with, you know, this record attendance, I think, coming back. And first, uh, first and foremost, I think sports kind of led the way to recovery. And you landed a pretty big prize for next year. Yes, we're so proud in Columbus to have announced that the U.S. Figure Skating Championships will be coming to Columbus in January of 2024. So we're on the clock, and we're very excited about that opportunity. First time for Columbus. This is going to be January 22nd through the 28th next year, a week long. Uh, how much uh, of an effort and how long did it take to get this? You know, in one form or fashion, I feel like we've been courting each other for a dozen years or more because the event has certainly been on my personal wish list because I've been with the organization since day one. Uh, but, you know, our, our nationwide arena executives, our hospitality community, I think we've, we've, uh, we've gone to several the last few years just to make sure that we were dotting our I's, crossing our T's, and making sure that it was a great fit for Columbus. So, so I think uh, in many respects, it's been many years in the making. Uh, in 2018, we actually took some city and county officials to see the event. It was in Detroit. So it was a three-hour three, three drive. We were able to get some uh, stakeholders there to see the event up close and personal. And, and that was great because we came back with some renewed enthusiasm. We had almost a dozen people in San Jose a few weeks ago to see the event again because knowing that we'd be on the clock, uh, we, had a, we had a lot more homework to do. So, so again, it's uh, been a kind of a labor of love. You know, this is really kind of neat because these are the, the national U.S. figure skating championships, but because of the nature of this type of an event, this feels like an Olympic event and like an international thing, and it kind of in your bones feels like a big deal. Absolutely. It's such a beautiful sport, and one of the things I think that's going to be great for Columbus is that because at Nationwide Arena we have that practice sheet of ice that's right in the building, that we're going to open that up uh, to the community for free to, to watch those skaters as they prepare to go on the big performance stage, if you will. So, you know, all week long we hope to generate a lot of interest from the skating enthusiasts and just the local community to come out and see a sport maybe they've never seen before. So our job these next uh, 11 and a half months is to educate Columbus on why this is an exciting event. We hope to be working with a lot of our community partners, whether it's our libraries, the arts community, obviously the sports and the figure skating community, and our hospitality community, because we definitely want to roll out the red carpet. Talking with Linda Logan, she's the president and CEO of the Greater Columbus Sports Commission. How many big events and how many people are you expecting this to attract? You know, we, we're looking into those numbers. You know, I know that the, the big week, the big part of the event will be that weekend, that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, where the kind of the top athletes will be participating. So we're hoping to have, you know, close to 10,000 people per day on, on the weekend. Well, during the week, they're going to have some youth camps that are part of that. They also have some preliminary skates during the week, and those crowds might be a little bit less just because it's not a, a weekend. And But we're, again, once again, hoping to uh, ignite a real passion for the sport. 
You know, I, I kind of hearken back to that 2018 NCAA Women's Final Four, that, uh, you know, the championship game that came down to a buzzer beater, and everybody was raving about how well that tournament came off in Columbus. Absolutely. We, we still have uh, so many people that refer to the 2018 Women's Final Four as the best ever, and we're proud to have that as part of our legacy. Certainly, we were prepared. We had been bidding on that event for, again, probably 10 years leading up to. And the fact that our community was prepared, we thought we had it all covered, but things we couldn't control, like the games themselves and the weather. But certainly now there's a lure to that event that we take credit for that as well. And, you know, this just this past fall, there was a, a women's college basketball tournament in Las Vegas that was roundly panned as being botched and and i would guess that when something like that happens it makes people think well i remember back in columbus when dot 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 (laughs) you know we certainly want to always be prepared and and when you're in the event business like we are certainly there's going to things that be things that pop up but we try to anticipate as best we can and knowing that we're um, good partners with with everyone in the community and even our, our customers, you know, we're hoping that even if things do, if something does happen, uh, we're all prepared and, and can solve those problems together. So I was actually very sympathetic to, to what happened there, knowing that it could easily happen anywhere. But I think the team in Columbus certainly very works very hard to, to anticipate any boundaries, if you will. This event, this uh, figure skating championship coming up next year is obviously a, a huge deal. What are some of the other big events that either that we have hosted or that you're still looking to land? Yes, um, we are hosting uh, the first and second rounds of the men's NCAA basketball tournament coming up here uh, very shortly. So we're always uh, happy to be hosting uh, a part of that big tournament as well. Columbus has hosted several times in our, our footprint, our arena. We're also hosting it on St. Patrick's Day weekend. So imagine the party that's going to surround that big event in Columbus. We're very excited about that. We are bringing back the Women's Final Four in 2027. So, again, happy to uh, throw our hat back in the ring for that one. And later this summer, uh, the NCAA is going to be putting out to bid all the other tournaments that travel around the country for the years 2027 through 2030. And that's a, a big undertaking, but always something that we look forward to. And Columbus usually bodes very well um, and with the outcome of those events as well. I would think Columbus, you know, it's kind of an interesting city because obviously we do have pro hockey and pro soccer. We don't have pro football, but you could argue that Ohio State football is on par, at least from a fan base and participation with an NFL team. And the Clippers are one of the biggest draws in AAA baseball. So certainly a a big time sports town. Absolutely. And think about just Nationwide Boulevard Boulevard itself and and the premier sports facilities that we have, not only on campus, but downtown with Lower.com Field, you know, we were the first city in the country to have a major league soccer facility in the historic crew stadium. So our facilities are second to none. They're just incredible. And the variety of sports that we can host in Columbus is also amazing. I think in our 20-some year history, we've brought close to 50 types of sport, different sports to Columbus, over 600 new events to the city, along with those amazing annual events that come to Columbus every year so again we're a very diverse sports city there's something for everyone and we we love that about our city the 50th anniversary of the title nine passage was uh, last year you mentioned the sports commission anniversary also was last year and title nine of course was 
what paved the way for all these big women's collegiate events? And, uh, and anything you want to say along that line? You know, I just, again, am proud both personally and professionally as someone that came up through the ranks uh, prior to Title IX. I was, you know, in, in school when, when the legislation was passed. And the fact that so many doors opened for me personally because of the legislation, but then to see our city grow and prosper, and the fact that we are well known to be one of the best cities in the country to host women's sporting sporting events, not only do we come out uh, and buy tickets and support these big events, but also, besides the turnstiles, our viewership is always in that top five Columbus is always tuning into some of these big events as well. So I look forward to that next 50 years and, and just the, the momentum that, that women's sports have around the country and around the world. And we are so fortunate to have amazing coaches, amazing athletes that live in our cities that represent us all around the world and couldn't be any prouder, again, to, to be part of that landscape. Talking with Linda Logan, she is the CEO, president of the Greater Columbus Sports Commission. Anything else you'd like to add? Just excited, again, um, to think about all the things that are coming to our region, to our state, and and it's really important uh, for the community to come out and support these big events, and and I think that's the opportunity that we have ahead of us. Great. Uh, Thanks so much for your time, and good luck with uh, all the planning for this. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Dom Tiberi. Nine years ago, we lost our daughter Maria to a distracted driving accident. To honor her life, we have pledged to educate young people on the dangers of distracted driving. We funded simulators and visited schools to inspire more than 120,000 young drivers to stay safe. Help spread Maria's message in your school. Contact us at mariasmessage at 10tv.com. And remember, distracted driving is dangerous driving. We put our lives on the line for our country. We braved the unknown. We did what we were told. And we lit up. Our cigarette packs were as valuable as the packs on our back. Maybe more. At one point, cigarettes were part of our daily ration. Smoke them if you got them. And boy, we were smoking them. Bumming a smoke was the norm. It was an escape from the reality of dirt, sweat, and forgetting how many days you were so far from home. Never had to worry so long as you had a light and the smoking lamp was lit. If that was you then, get your lungs screened now. Surviving lung cancer starts with a scan. Learn more at ScreenYourLungs.org. And thank you for your service. This PSA was made possible by industry funding and guidance from lung cancer patient groups. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV.
Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us here on Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. We are going to start with the president's State of the Union address and the Ohio connections. For the second year in a row, Central Ohio got a shout out from the president during the State of the Union address, all because of Intel. Outside of Columbus, Ohio, Intel is building semiconductor factories on a thousand acres, literally a field of dreams. It's going to create 10,000 jobs, that one investment, 7,000 construction jobs, 3,000 jobs in those factories once they're finished. They call them factories. Jobs paying an average of $130,000 a year, and many do not require a college degree. Because we work together, these jobs where people don't have to leave home to search for opportunity. It's just getting started. Think about the new homes, the small businesses, the big, the medium-sized businesses. So much more that's going to be needed to support those 3,000 those 3, permanent jobs and the factories that are going to be built. Another Ohio mention happened when the president talked about the infrastructure law. I promised I'd be a president for all Americans. We'll fund these projects. And I'll see you at the groundbreaking. This law will further unite all of America. Projects like Brent Spent Bridge in Kentucky over the Ohio River, built 60 years ago, badly needed repairs, one of the nation's most congested freight routes, carrying $2 billion worth of freight every single day across the Ohio River. And folks, we've been talking about fixing it for decades, but we're really finally going to get it done. I went there last month with Democrats and Republicans and from both states to deliver a commitment of $1.6 billion for this project. And while I was there, I met a young woman named Sarah, who's here tonight. I don't know where Sarah is. Is she up in the box? I don't know. Sarah, how are you? Well, Sarah, for 30 years, for 30 years, I learned, she told me she'd been a proud member of the Iron Workers Local 44, known as, known as the Cowboys in the Sky, the folks who built, built Cincinnati's skyline. Sarah said she can't wait to be 10 stories above the Ohio River building that new bridge. God bless her. That's pride. Well, how are Ohio lawmakers in Washington, D.C. responding to what President Biden had to say? We talked with U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown, Congresswoman Joyce Beatty. We also spoke with Congressman Troy Balderson and Congressman Mike Carey. Now, you might remember Mike Carey is on the Ways and Means Committee. So do you have any um, reaction to what you heard in the president's State of the Union address when you think about your role on this committee? Well, I think there are a couple of things. I think one, um, I, I was encouraged early on in the early on in the speech. I think, you know, Biden acknowledged that that we do have divided government. We have, you know, the, the Republicans are in control of the House and mm-hmm. Speaker McCarthy and, and and the president are going to have to work together. And, uh, you know, as we as we approach this debt limit, um, you know, it's going to be something that we're going to try to put in place um, and, and, and work together to put parameters around certain things. I don't think. Um, Anybody wants to hold the president hostage, as he kind of said, uh, or, or the economy hostage last night. I think that was a little bit of pandering to the to the mm-hmm. left. But I think we want to have a, a fruitful discussion. And I think we want to make sure that we limit the, the growth in spending because we have seen, you know, 
in a tremendous amount of growth with many of us ran on the fact that we ultimately want to balance the budget. And, and listen, that is something that is doable. Uh, we were able to do that under President Clinton and, and Speaker Newt Gingrich. And again, divided government. So my hope is we can kind of get through the hyperbole and, and really, and my committee is a serious committee again. Um, so my hope is that we can put together, you know, very good documents uh, very good legislation that the president and the Senate can agree to. Hopefully, you know, we can get through we can get through this and, and really do the things that the American public want us to do bipartisanly and move the country forward. Congressman Troy Balderson. So for people who will see uh, this interview, can you give us an example of how you think the problems at the border? I'm assuming you think the problems at the border are problematic for your constituents here in the 12th district. You know, and Tracy, um, I've been down there three times now and, and witnessed it firsthand. Actually, was out at two o'clock in the morning um, with the Border Patrol, um, my, my last experience there. So um, I kind of see what they're, they're going through and what they're dealing with. That was also the time frame of when uh, Governor DeWine sent down the Ohio National Guard uh, to help. Several states were doing that. Um, the, the lack of support to me is, is, is unbelievable to our Border Patrol. The technologies that we're not utilizing and what we need to utilize, we can do more of with drones. Um, and, you know, it, it's a constant battle. And um, the, the Border Patrol is doing everything in their power to, to take care and protect our border. Congresswoman Joyce Beatty. I think he hit on all of the points that you can think of that we've been working on in Congress. When you think about health care and lowering the cost of health care, he spoke directly to those who are diabetic and talked about lowering the cost and capping the cost for insulin. He talked about crime and what we must do to protect those who have lost their lives at the hands of police officers who are there to serve and protect us. He talked about small businesses. He talked about justice and all of the reforms, including women's rights. He was very strong on the issues, and it was very clear that he wanted everyone to know that he could talk about the great successes. Think about this. More jobs than any other president to the tune of some 12 million jobs. Let's talk about the unemployment rate. He talked about how low that has been. He didn't run away from any issues. And it was so nice when he talked about Social Security and Medicare. And when the opposite side of the aisle didn't stand up for things that we were fighting for our children's and families, he put that question out there. I want to see who will stand with me with seniors for our senior citizens. U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown. I think he was right on. I mean, he talked about intel, which is really important to viewers of WBNS. And bigger than that around the state, he talked about the PACT Act, um, which uh, I, I helped to write, named after an Ohioan from Columbus, uh, who will get the people who are, were exposed to those those huge football field-sized burn pits, um, any one of 23 illnesses that they that they present with they that, that are brought on by those burning those burn pits will get treatment in Columbus or in any one of the veterans hospitals or community-based centers. Um, he talked about uh, the pension bill, which 100,000 Ohioans, um, people who are losing their pensions, they will be restored. Uh, he talked about the infrastructure bill, which will really matter to the whole state. Uh, and I worked a lot with Senator Portman bipartisanly on that bill. The State of the Union was about a 
accomplishments, what we've done in the last two years and what we're going to continue to do. Now, we did ask Senator J.D. Vance for an interview. His staff instead pointed us to this statement. In the statement, Vance said Ohioans are worse off than two years ago. He said President Biden is responsible and said that Biden failed to protect the core national security interests of the United States. While the president was speaking to the nation, our team of fact checkers was standing by, ready to investigate what's true, what's false, and what's missing context. Here's Casey Decker with our Verified National Team. Verify here to fact check the State of the Union and the Republican response. Here you can see the sources we went to. One of the first things President Biden did in his speech was take credit for economic growth during his presidency, citing booming jobs numbers. After we've created, with the help of many people in this room, 12 million new jobs, more jobs created in two years than any president's created in four years because of you all. The first half of that claim is true. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, there were 143 million jobs when Biden took office. Now, two years later, there are 155 million. But the second half of the claim is false. The BLS has data going back to 1939. And we found that between 1996 and 2000, when Bill Clinton was president, more than 12.4 million jobs were added. That's more than the 12.1 million added in Biden's two years. Now, those years span Clinton's first and second terms in office, so the growth wasn't just in one term, but it was over one four-year span. Next, Biden also claimed he'd taken huge steps towards balancing the budget. My administration has cut the deficit by more than $1.7 trillion. That's true. According to the Federal Reserve, the national deficit before Biden took office was more than $3.1 trillion. By 2022, that number had dropped below $1.4 trillion. No other two-year span saw a decrease that large since the Fed began reporting that data in 1901. Still, the claim needs context. The deficit ballooned above $3 trillion in 2020 because of massive spending programs the government launched to respond to the pandemic. So a lot of the deficit shrinking is a result of those programs expiring, not necessarily any specific action taken by Biden. Okay, moving on to the Republican response from Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders. 100,000 Americans a year are now killed from drug overdoses largely from fentanyl. We can verify that's true. The CDC's most recent data puts drug overdose deaths at 101,000 over the last 12 months. Roughly 70,000 of those deaths are from synthetic opioids like fentanyl. It's a figure President Biden himself highlighted in the State of the Union, calling for more drug detection equipment at the border. But Sanders also claimed the drugs came across the southern border. But where the fatal drugs are coming from simply isn't tracked. With your State of the Union Verify, I'm Casey Decker. And now to a new initiative from Lieutenant Governor John Husted that you learned about first right here on 10TV. It's called the Social Media Parental Notification Act. Husted says he wants companies like Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok to get parents' consent before a child under 16 can open an account. But will it work? That's one of many questions the Wake Up CBUS team asked Lieutenant Governor Husted when we first learned about his plan. Well, the real reason behind it is our children are suffering. They're suffering from mental health issues. Uh, As the governor said in the state of the state, he quoted uh, Desmond Tutu, who said, we keep pulling bodies out of the water. We need to look upstream to find the cause. Well, the cause of many of the mental health issues and challenges our children are facing are directly as a result of social media and technology in their lives. Uh, 
algorithms that are very harmful to them, content that's very harmful to them, data being collected on them, and it's time that we step up and do more about it. So you have this verification process that it's a little lengthy, right? And it it requires parents signing the splash page consent and then verifying who they are, emails going back and forth. What is stopping a kid from saying, hey, Johnny, pretend you're my dad? What we believe will happen is that Uh, With the process we've designed is that the children sign on, their parents have to validate, you have to put in addresses and all of that kind of information. Then the social media company is required to send those parents to that address a letter validating uh, that that they know their children have signed up for this account. Uh, Like any law, there are ways certainly that you could find a way around it, but we're really just trying to empower parents to create Uh, more parental awareness about what's going on with their children to get parents involved at perhaps denying this or or putting filters that have limitations on the content that they're receiving. Can I pick up on that and have you talk about the companies? What kind of feedback or buy-in do you anticipate or have you already received? Well, the companies know that this is harmful, but they're making billions of dollars off of it and right now uh, doing very little to protect our children. And I expect that there will be some companies that will push back, Mm -hmm. but I hope that they will embrace the recognition that they have a responsibility in this, that it's harmful for our children. And we invite them into this legislative Mm -hmm. process to offer alternatives and how we all can get better at this. But they need to be forced to the table. This will force them to the table. You say they should have some responsibility in this. So how can this be enforced? Will the state have any power with with this proposal that they could go after social media uh, companies? Or does this kind of fall on the parent to kind of self-police? No, uh, the state can take action against the, the companies if they don't comply with what they're being asked to do. Uh, there could be both uh, eventually legal and civil ramifications for them if they don't do it. Where do we draw the line with social media versus like a search engine? Um, how far does this proposal go? We're, we're focused on children under the age of 16, social media apps, and some gaming platforms uh, because that's where the problem Lies. And we're not talking about e-commerce or other things like that. We're try, trying to very narrow, narrowly tear, tailor this. Is there an education piece or empowerment piece for parents? Because um, I hate to say this, but our kids are a little bit smarter than we are when it comes to technology. <laughs> Just a snake. Mama knows everything but except that. And, you know, is there something for parents? Is there a part of this that parents need to educate themselves on instead of saying, ah, it's just social media? Right. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be posting uh uh, tools for children or for parents mm-hmm. to filter uh, and to block and to protect against uh, and give them more information about what their children are doing online. Think about this. You, you wouldn't let a stranger into your house to have a private conversation with your child in their room. But that's happening if you're not in control of their social media because strangers are getting access, access to them through these apps. So this is giving it a little teeth, mm-hmm. so to speak. Absolutely. You can watch the entire interview with the lieutenant governor right now on the 10TV app. One Ohio couple paid out tens of thousands of dollars to start their family. Then they were asked to pay tens of thousands of dollars for an abortion. Their heartbreaking story and the law they say needs to change. 
Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Right now, one group is working to get the abortion rights issue on your November ballot. Ohio Physicians for Reproductive Rights is collecting signatures to make that happen. Those doctors say they want voters to ensure access to abortion stays legal in our state, something that pro-choice Ohio agrees with. It's so important that Ohioans are able to amend our state constitution when uh, things that are important to us are jeopardized by elected officials who are not listening to the will of the people. But when it comes to the will of the people, anti-abortion advocates predict any vote will show most Ohioans are on their side. 60, 90 days ago, Ohioans had a choice. Devoutly pro-life Mike DeWine, devoutly pro-choice Nan Whaley. Mike DeWine won 64% of the vote. The voters spoke. The voters speak at the State House, at the Ohio Supreme Court. We elected three pro-life conservative justices. The voters get to make these decisions every two or four years. It would take more than 400,000 valid signatures gathered by July 5th to place the issue on November, the November ballot. Right now, abortion is legal in Ohio up to 22 weeks, but that's not the only barrier for pregnant women. One Columbus woman says she wanted her baby, but when she needed an abortion, Ohio's laws put her through a nightmare. 10 TV's Yolanda Harris has her story. It was a long road to Pennsylvania where Beth and Kyle Long said goodbye to their baby daughter. The road began here in Columbus, where Beth and Kyle met and got married. They spent more than four years and $45,000 trying to start a family through fertility treatments. Finally, Beth became pregnant with a baby girl they nicknamed Star. She looks perfect. But then, on January 4th, Kyle wrote in his journal... Beth receives bad test results. Most of Star's organs were outside her body. Doctors delivered the devastating news. It was fatal. She had something called limb body wall complex. It's very rare. Most of her internal organs spilled out in a hole in her abdomen and were enmeshed in the placenta. And there was more bad news. The doctors explained that because of Star's condition, Beth had an increased chance of bleeding during birth or an abortion and might possibly need a hysterectomy. The bigger she gets, the the more complicated and enmeshed it's going to be. So time was of the essence. Because of Ohio law, the Longs couldn't move in a timely way. Beth is a nurse employed by the state of Ohio. The law bans her state-issued insurance from paying for abortions. There's an exception for when the life of the mother is in danger, but Beth's life wasn't immediately at risk. She says the insurance company refused to pay for the procedure, which would cost twenty to $30,000. After three weeks, the Longs were finally able to schedule an abortion at a Pennsylvania hospital at a discounted rate. Beth Beth and Kyle brought with them baby dresses Beth had knit, and together they said goodbye to their daughter. 
In January, Kyle reached out to Ohio Governor Mike DeWine and Senator J.D. Vance, who oppose abortion. He wrote, we loved our baby girl and would have done anything to keep her. Ohio law prevents grieving parents from the health care they need. Kyle says he never received responses. Spokespeople for DeWine and Vance say they do plan to respond to Kyle's email. DeWine's office noted that the law that prevents state insurance from paying for abortions was enacted before he took office. The lungs were left in anger and grief. I was in mental anguish because I love her. Yolanda Harris reporting for us on that. A spokesperson for her workplace, which owns the insurance plan, says they will continue to comply with the law. Still to come this morning on Face of the State, the push to expand Amtrak in Ohio. Hear why Senator Sherrod Brown says the time is now. And there's a push at the State House to end sales tax on diapers. We'll update you on where Senate Bill 39 stands now. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Welcome back. There's a push in the Ohio Senate to stop sales tax on baby products. Senate Bill 39 had its first committee hearing. It passed families wouldn't pay sales tax on diapers, car seats, cribs, and baby monitors. Senator Tim Schaefer from Lancaster said the purpose is to encourage more people to move to Ohio. A removal of sales tax from such products would ease the financial burden of raising children and encourage people nationwide to start their family here in Ohio. This bill will demonstrate that Ohio is truly pro-child and pro-family. The governor has promised to push for a similar tax break in the next budget. Governor Mike DeWine directed the state to apply for the first phase of funding for passenger rail service in the state. This is federal funding that could help Ohio build inner-city passenger rail corridors. Amtrak has been looking at Ohio for the last several years. It's a move that U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown supports. You know, Ohio's different from most states. We don't have one dominant city. We have Cleveland, Columbus, Toledo, Dayton, Cincinnati, Akron. And there's simply no reason we shouldn't re-expand Amtrak uh, to serve these communities. And I'm hopeful that, that the governor's interested, I'm interested, uh, and we're going to make, I know Congresswoman Beatty's interested in doing this. And this is something that I hope begins anew and we begin to provide Amtrak services to Ohioans. The state of Ohio and Dollar General reached an agreement over allegations of deceptive pricing. Attorney General Dave Yost says the agreement requires Dollar General to take steps to make sure shelf prices match the price that's actually charged at the counter. Yost says this is a step in that process, but litigation is not over. More than $200 million in grants is now going to Honda's new battery plant project in Fayette County. Jobs Ohio says a $140 million grant will go directly to the plant, a $10 million workforce grant for the project, and an $87 million grant will help retool Honda's existing facilities. The money can be paid over the next 10 years on top of $156 million in tax incentives from the state. 
Well, we have covered a lot today, and we are glad you were here with us. Have a great week. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just got to hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. All he had to say was, Hey, you got this. Just breathe. Hey. <laughs> We're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to start a band. <laughs> I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. <laughs> Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. My muscles ached. I was tired all the time. My son had a full-blown asthma attack. It came out of nowhere. The unsettling thing about some symptoms is... I had a fever and these terrible headaches. You don't always know what's causing them. It was Lyme disease from a tick bite. I had Zika virus from a mosquito. He had a reaction to cockroach allergens. Threats to your health can come from unexpected places. Get the facts. Visit PestWorld.org. A public service message from the National Pest Management Association. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Dr. Griffin Rogers, who is the director of the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for talking to us. We're coming up on uh, March being National Kidney Month, and looking over some of the information here, uh, it looks like kidney disease is awfully serious, and a lot of people aren't aware of it. That's correct. Uh, Kidney disease, uh, in fact, in the state of Ohio, um, kidney, uh, the number of uh, people uh, in the state with kidney disease puts you in the 19th uh, out of all the states with the highest amount of chronic kidney disease. Uh, this is principally because there are more people in diabetes, uh, with diabetes in the state. Um, that's 15th in the country, and you end up ranking 12th in the state for high, high blood pressure. Those are two major causes of kidney disease. And so it's a common condition. One in seven adults uh, are estimated to have chronic kidney disease. We want to raise awareness uh, of this often silent disease. And that's what I was going to ask. Apparently, uh, this progresses without any symptoms for the most part, right? That's right, yeah. Uh, oftentimes, uh, people are totally unaware that they have uh, kidney disease. In fact, 9 out of 10 uh, with mild chronic kidney disease are unaware, and 2 in 5 adults with severe kidney disease, that is, just before they uh, would require dialysis, uh, don't know that they have chronic kidney disease. That's why it's so important that if you have a risk factor for kidney disease, such as being over 60 or having a family history of kidney disease or having diabetes or high blood pressure, 
that you ask your health care provider uh, to check you for the presence of, of kidney disease. And, and that's uh, quite simple. And, of course, if you do have kidney disease, catching it early is the best opportunity of keeping your kidneys uh, functioning well for a longer period of time. I wanted to ask you, uh, you mentioned that uh, a lot of Ohioans have high blood pressure. I think it's about one in three. And uh, so if you have moderately high blood pressure that is untreated, are you likely to end up with chronic kidney disease because of that? Or is it still most people manage to avoid it over the course of their lives? Yeah, well, if the blood pressure is well controlled with medications and lifestyle changes, such as diet and exercise, uh, one's chances of developing uh, kidney disease and having it progress will be greatly reduced. Um, But um, it's certainly still a a great idea to be tested uh, if you have a history of hypertension, because sometimes it takes uh, not one or two years, but it may take a decade before you begin to see evidence of of hypertension affecting so-called end-stage organs like the heart and the kidney, for example. So it's not a a foregone conclusion, particularly if the the blood pressure is well controlled, um, but still it's better to know uh, early so that your healthcare provider can make modifications to slow the progression. Talking with Dr. Griffin Rogers with the National Institutes of Health, when symptoms do start showing up, what are they? Well, some of the symptoms associated with uh, kidney disease uh, belies its function. Kidneys, we have two of them, about the size of your fist. Uh, and they're there to, uh, to maintain your, your fluid and electrolyte balance uh, in your body. And so when the kidneys uh, stop functioning very well, Fluid retention is one of the early signs, swelling of the ankles, the face, the hands, uh, uh, particularly uh, as the day progresses. Um, the kidneys are also very, very important and responsible for producing certain hormones that are necessary to maintain your, your blood count, uh, your red blood cell count, for example. And so uh, as the kidney disease progresses, those hormones uh, start to diminish, and subsequently one can become anemic. Signs of anemia are fatigue, uh, decreased exercise tolerance, for example, uh, and um, inability to function at a fairly high level. Kidneys also are important in regulating your uh, calcium uh, uh, metabolism, and so brittle bones becoming a little bit more brittle as the calcium leaches out of your, your bones, is another sign of, uh, of kidney uh, disease. So I guess uh, if you are diagnosed, it's uh, kind of on a scale of one to five uh, as far as the severity. And, and once you reach the point where you have symptoms, what kind of a prognosis do you get? Are you likely to go on dialysis soon or what happens? Well, again, the, uh, the good news is that um, even sort of moderately severe chronic kidney disease uh, can be managed uh, so that the rate of, of progression uh, getting you to dialysis uh, can be decreased. But again, diagnosing the uh, presence of kidney disease early is really uh, what we want to stress. Um, 
Most patients who have chronic kidney disease won't go on to develop uh, end-stage kidney disease, either requiring dialysis or a transplant. Uh, and so uh, that's important to know. But managing these potential complications associated with kidney disease, as we just talked about, the anemia, the uh, fluid retention, and, and other facets uh, will have to be managed uh, by your uh, healthcare provider uh, in other ways. And I would think some of these cofactors, you know, like uh, diabetes, that, that just complicates the whole matter. You may not end up on dialysis, but maybe your diabetes begins to manifest itself even worse in you if you've got this additional condition. Yeah, certainly managing your diabetes, your high blood pressure, high cholesterol are all important facets of not only keeping your kidneys healthy as long as possible, but certainly it's also good for your overall health, including your heart health and your brain health. Uh, and uh, certainly, you know, we've really come a, a long ways in terms of having a, an array of, of medications uh, that's suitable and effective in managing all of those, uh, those complications. So let me ask you real quick before we wrap up here, what can folks do in addition to checking their blood pressure? Is there, can they be, should they be eating differently, uh, healthier? What, what should they do? Oh, yeah. Well, of course, you know, the sort of the three things we talk about are, uh, again, if you have high blood pressure or diabetes, making sure you're on a, on a plan to, to know what your numbers are and know what range uh, is optimal uh, that you and your health care provider discuss regularly. Of course, uh, making sure that um, your cholesterol is also uh, in a good range. Um, and, of course, if you smoke, that really uh, is something that you should try to uh, uh, stop uh, because that's really going to cause independent damage to your blood vessels uh, and further uh, exacerbate the kidney disease. Uh, in addition to that, I think you know, trying to exercise for most adults, getting in 30 minutes a day of, of moderate exercise like walking is a good idea, and getting adequate amounts of sleep. Um, which is often ignored, but seven hours of sleep for adults is, uh, is what's uh, recommended. These are all facets that can not only improve your kidney health, but your overall health as well. Is eating a lot of protein or, you know, being on like a low-carb, high-protein fat diet, is that bad for your kidneys? Well, you know, it depends upon uh, what your underlying kidney function and, and other uh, functions. There's no specific diet. Uh, that um, for uh, a healthy individual, uh, that would necessarily prevent them from developing uh, kidney disease. Uh, it depends upon the stage of kidney disease. Once diagnosed, your doctor uh, will uh, likely modify your diet, of course, decreasing the amount of salt uh, in your diet because, of course, that's associated with excessive fluid intake. It also increases uh, potentially your blood pressure. Uh, and, of course, carbohydrates and, and other proteins and your protein content will be determined, uh, uh, those recommendations, based upon, you know, other aspects of your condition, like if you have diabetes or if you have high, high cholesterol levels. Uh, so instead of sort of a one-size-fits-all, having discussions with your health care provider about, uh, determining what your specific goals are are 
really more important. So precision medicine or personalized medicine uh, is is what uh, you know, what we're talking about. Dr. Rogers, if folks want more information, can they find it online somewhere? Sure. They can, um, your listeners can visit our website at www.niddk.nih.gov uh, to learn more information about kidney disease uh, and, uh, and end-stage kidney disease. Great. Uh, Dr. Griffin Rogers, he's the director of the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases. Thanks so much for your time and the information today. Thanks for your time and thanks for uh, sharing this important information with your listeners. Have a great day. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.